Today, all over the world, there are thousands of Sino-Soviet intelligence agents with money to burn, looking for unsuspecting targets for exploitation among members of our forces. But, uh, you know, I was just saying, uh, I was going to say something else about Wonder Woman, but I kind of don't want to because I was, uh, <laughs> I was really, I wasn't depressed after I watched that movie, but God, that movie was like so bad. It kind of was depressing. Yeah. I think, um, I think the worst part about that movie is that, um, I've said there's like a couple, every once in a while you need a bad movie to kind of like refresh, you know, but mm. So, but they have to be like enjoyable to watch. Like you can either shit on it with your friends, or you can like, mm-hmm. you know, um, be fine with like watching this terrible movie and like having fun with it. But Wonder Woman was a boring movie, and that's like the worst thing you can say about <laughs> it. Yeah, no, no it's uh, when Diane and I were watching it. I just I remember looking over her, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, and I don't know why anything is happening the way it is. Um, so. I- I do kind of want to talk about this a little bit because I think that kind of talking about Wonder Woman actually ties in pretty nicely with like a, a Marxist theory of like a oh of course <laughs> of uh, yeah right it t- ties kind of nicely into like a little cultural Marxist theory with uh with um, production right and in that Wonder Woman as a as a product is a like a it's essentially like a tool for like a I'm going to use a little Althusay, so we're going to mm-hmm. skip a little he- a little bit ahead in the leftist reading. But Althusay talks mm-hmm. about like the ideological state apparatus and how ideology is kind of um, furthered in the state. And so Wonder Woman is a completely like ideological movie in that the convictions it has is that it's in direct opposition to like what is kind of perceived as like Trumperism essentially. Okay. So like mm-hmm. D- Pat- Patty Jenkins is like writer director is kind of directly opposing this like era of Trump. Like, you know, you oh, have to... okay. Yeah. 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 I know exactly what you mean. You, you know, Pedro, Pedro Pascal is like a Trump figure. And then also like one of the main things about the movie, one of the main messages is that mm-hmm. you can't take shortcuts. You have to achieve things the correct way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Look, dude, I follow, I completely follow. Like, I think, I think that the next wave of whether it just be comic book movies or whether it be any kind of Hollywood productions, we're going to see an upward trend of the pro- the antagonist being a being a um, a sleazy uh, con man like running for public office. Like mm-hmm. I think we're gonna, we're going to see that like so much. It's going to want to make us kill ourselves. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like it's going to be so annoying. Just the next and and what it's also going to be, and I guess because because we elected him out of office and because he was elected out of office, I think that most of the Hollywood machine is going to uh, it's going to rally around that, you know, the, uh, the basic liberal principle of just being anti, uh, just being anti conservative. <laughs> and um, yeah, we're just, we're going to see that I think for the, for the foreseeable future. And it's going to be in books. Uh, we're probably going to see a, bu- a bunch of like 
young adult novels uh, or young adult fiction with with Trump like figures and oh well, yeah absolutely I so, mean the yeah. the biggest thing about it is that like uh in terms of like you know we're going to talk about like i guess we'll just kind of like briefly touch on the rest of capital uh because i think we're all both ready to kind of move on to uh linen at this point so or uh more mark and, and and not and not like i mean it's not like we're eager to do that but like you know it's uh capital is really it really is dense and i mean i can't say enough good things about it and uh but um i think and not and, and Mark definitely doesn't. I'm not saying he's talking in circles, but you kind of, you kind of when you when you process it and you chew on it a little bit, you kind of just start tasting the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think um, and there and there's and there's good ideas and like uh, and I'll just and I'm I'm just gonna take a little bit out of uh, the cooperation chapter and you know um, cooperation I think is uh, uh, it's the first time he's really mentioned it and kind of put it into this kind of perspective where he goes into a little bit more detail about it, but. Um, but yeah, in, in really summation of it, you know, we uh, collectively, and we're talking, you know, collectivism and and unification and uni- uh, solidarity, I guess is the other word I'm looking for. But um, when we have that as laborers, um, it's like our labor power together is better than, you know, our labor power individual. And, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of ties into we can go into individual. We could probably do a whole episode just on like collectivism versus individualism, and um, but uh, yeah, he he talks a little bit about it in uh, in this first section, and um, I, I I can only think back to. I mean, it really you think about unionization, you think about unions because uh, this is essentially the big the big tie into our our current state of capitalism, and uh, you know. You, Unionization is uh, like we're putting our labor power together into one force. You know, solidarity is one. They can't they can't strip our power if we're all together in one in one goal. And uh, he basically says, you know, the beautiful thing about our labor power is the things we can achieve when we are all on the same page. Uh, you know. We all have the same goal in mind, and we all have the same. We're all of we're all of the same uh, principle, and we all want to achieve the same thing. And we all want each other. To, we we want each person to thrive, and uh, we want them to be rewarded, you know, per, uh, fairly for their their labor and everything. And um, there, it's sad because there is no there is no cooperation in in our uh, in our current labor system. You know, in our our economy. I mean, there is cooperation, but there's not like there's definitely more individualism and it's because it's all about competition here. And I keep thinking, I, I remember, do you remember that thing you retweeted? There was this dumb, there was this dumb discussion about it on Twitter where it was like this video of those, uh, those Chinese kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they were like, they were in, uh, they were in their PE class. And like, instead of doing a competitive sport to, to uh, uplift somebody's to champion somebody or to champion an athlete, what they're championing is their ability to work together to create a common goal. And they create a rhythm, mm-hmm. and, um, and so uh, I think that's a. I, I thought about that when I was reading this chapter because um, their goal, these little kids, and I guess I should provide a little bit of background info. But these little, these little, I think they may have been like six or eight years old. I mean, probably like third or fourth graders. Yeah, um, but they were outside in like this courtyard in school, and they all had they all 
had two uh, like rubber balls, like maybe like a little smaller than basketballs. And their goal, their their goal was to cooperate to make a single heartbeat or like a like a uh, a rhythm with the balls. And so, so what they had to do was either they followed. I don't. I didn't see the beginning of the video, so I don't know how it started. I'd like to see more of the video because uh, the video just kind of jumps into them all doing the same. Like they're they're dribbling they're the all, ball, the same yeah, rhythm. They're bouncing the balls and they're moving to they're moving clockwise, right? So they do three dribbles each on each ball and then move clockwise. So they're keeping yeah. the balls in the air while dribbling. So it's a right, cooperative yeah. it's a cooperative exercise and, and it kind of yeah. like I think what the cooperation chapter shows and in um and the biggest thing about what Mark says in this cooperation chapter yeah. is that um there, there is cooperation amongst laborers, um, right? But the 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 people who are in within cooperation are brought together by the same individual capitalists, right? It says the workshop of the medieval master handicraftsman is simply enlarged, right? So what happens is you have this, um, you have this person this capitalist who brings who buys mm -hmm. labor power and he buys it in bulk to create mm -hmm. more to generate more wealth so there is cooperation among uh a comparatively large number of laborers but the problem is that the laborers are essentially interchangeable in this type yeah. of system Right. And so what happens is it turns um, a great, you know, it, it turns a great part of cooperation, you know, mm -hmm. into uh, and it allows men to do various operations. But he even says in it that men are still um, separate from that process because you can have like different ways of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Like a, I think he says a carriage. Um, right. You could have a guy who who is the wrench maker guy who makes the wrenches to manufacture the carriage you could have the guy who makes the bolts you could have the guy who puts it all together mm -hmm. you know and stuff like that but um he says mm -hmm. when the uh he says the the labor power that produces this grand amount of labor is when the laborer cooperates systematically with others he strips off the fetters of his individuality and develops the mm -hmm. capabilities of his species so for instance, if you've ever tried moving anything that's like relatively heavy, it's a lot easier to move with two people than it is with one. And, and you know, it's even right. easier, you know, uh, individuality is all great and good and fine and cool. And Marx isn't necessarily against individuality. In fact, he believes that like you could, you will become your individual self who you're meant to be through, mm -hmm. you know, as long as you're not like, only focused on work then you can you know write poetry or you can make art or you know your free time essentially is a very important marks at to to become a self-actualized individual but um marx also describes the ability to cooperate in this system actually can generate the full capabilities of the human species so this is what annoys me when people talk about humans as being like individualistic, right? Like inherently competition drives everything. Cause that's not how we've, ex that isn't how humans have existed for, for right. 
um, you know, for most of our life, we've always cooperated and that's, and we've been around for a long time, but I was trying to figure out like why Homo erectus and like the Hobbit people, I can't remember what they're called, but, but why they died out. And mm-hmm. some of the evidence suggests that like we c- were able to cooperate better with like our own species. Mm-hmm. So the other human species died out because they weren't able to come together and like build a society to like protect themselves against like evolution essentially. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and going back to, going back to the carriage thing, cause uh, I'm going to tie the carriage into what he, he talks about like the, uh, the surplus, he talks about the surplus labor and getting from essentially point A to point B. And I like what he, uh, I actually like this this figure that he uses. And he, we mentioned uh, in one of the previous chapters, I can't remember which one, but he said, um, you really, if you simplify the working day for a laborer, um, it's not only is it easier on their bodies and like the, their overall well being, um, but it's just easier for the mode of, like for the machine of production. If you have a simplified job um, that doesn't that isn't super strenuous, it's a lot more organized. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially. So I'm going to use the carriage as an example. So like each person that is putting together a carriage, they have a de- they have a destination to go to go from point A to point B, and like they do that they go to that destination, however many times in a day, however many carriages they make, or however many coats they ship and pack a laborer goes from point A to point B. And um, so when the process is simplified like that, uh, you know, it's, it's better all around for uh, the, uh, for production itself. But what a capitalist in, you know, uh, a soulless capitalist whose soul is only capital itself, they're going to try to figure out a way to also get us to a point C. So what may end up happening is, uh, and what we see a lot now, and we see it in work now, but you have like a, you get from point A to point B, right? But maybe uh, instead of now we go from point B to point C, and but there's no clear there's no clear path from B to C sometimes, and sometimes the capitalist says, "Okay, well we've done this. Now I also want you to go from B to C," and that. And Mark, and what I think what, what I think Marx is saying here is that once you go from your destination of what you've received to now you're almost it's almost like you got to your destination and then instead of going from point A to point B again, going back to that destination, now it's almost like now we've got a not a detour, but it's almost like okay, now let's do something a little different here and uh, let's do a little bit more. I don't know how to say it other than just like an excess or a surplus. You know, he's he wants to get as much out of you as possible. So he's gonna say, Okay, now from point B to point C, I'm not I'm not exactly sure how to do it, but uh, you know, I, I want a little bit more out of this because we've still got time out of the day and so and so and it just creates a lot it creates a an issue. But um but if you simplify it down to point A to point B, mm-hmm. you know, point A you you clock in, you go from point A to point B, point A to point B, you clock out, <clears throat> you clock back in after some rest, point A to point B, point A to point B, and you have everyone doing that. I mean, it's an unstoppable machine, and 
nobody's overwhelmed. There's no extra step. It's not like you're climbing a ladder, but like it's like getting to the top of a ladder and having to climb up onto a ledge or something, or instead of just going, you know, top of the ladder and back down, top of the ladder and back down. And everyone's doing that. It, oh, it's like it's like pistons in an engine. You know, it's like the the pistons just they just rotate and and they do a single motion over and over again, and that's where the, that generates the energy you need to uh, to get the uh, uh, you know to get the energy to get the the motor and the electricity going so your your vehicle moves. And so mm-hmm. it's like uh, when you over when you over uh, when you make the process more complex, it only it's only a recipe for not only is it bad because now we've got another thing to think about and our workers now have something else to do. We also have to convince them that what they're doing, we have to, we have to, we have to reward them for that extra step. They have to be, they have to be compensated. They have to fight. They have to be in cooperation from point B to point C, even though they're not quite sure what that step is, but if they're not going to cooperate and they don't see, they don't see the point at all. They don't see the big picture. uh, It's, it's just, it's just going to make for, you know what we have here and that's just nobody likes to work in fucking the wild west that we're in you know it, it sucks because you 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 get this job description you you go to work and you have a job description but sometimes you don't end up even doing the shit that your job description says you end up having to do more and you're like wait a minute i don't even know how to do this this isn't what you hired me to do so right you know. yeah so it just it's that's just the what I, that's what i liked about that uh i spent a little bit of time on that the diagram that he uses and um i think that's a good i i applaud him for putting it into that kind of terms and but a uh, timelines can be confusing like that but i guess i had to think about i thought about it like instead of you know like a, a not a journey but a destination you know, a to b and then that's all you gotta do but um yeah and so i think that's uh yeah i think that's all i got on that uh a lot of people working in a factory, then, uh, and they try and unionize, then, uh, you know, you're going to have to start cracking some skulls. And a lot of like uh, early uh, police officers, actually, that was their whole job was to bust up unions. They call them the union busters, you know? So, um, so also it is very important. Uh, it is not because he is a leader of industry that a man is a capitalist. On the contrary, he is a leader of industry because he is a capitalist. So Elon Musk isn't a capitalist because he's a leader of industry. He's a leader of industry because he himself is a capitalist. So he put forward the the capital, right? The the money um, that he got from his father's diamond mine or, or mineral mine or whatever in South Africa and bought PayPal, sold it for an ungodly amount of money. And then started Tesla and it's like hemorrhaging money, but he's seen as this great, leader of industry even though he's not you know he's not he's not the leader of industry and he, he doesn't like you don't reap your 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 rewards you're you know you have this money to put forward and you get more money off of it like we talked about in the very early readings mm. right um right. the laborers are isolated persons um
arrangement for cooperation with the capitalist because their their relationship is ultimately to the capitalist, the person who signs the paycheck for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he says that he's, he, he equates workers to um, to um, he says that they can create wonders. Um, he says oh, yeah. like, Moving the colossal statues and vast masses of which the transport creates wonder, human labor almost alone was prodigally used. The number of the laborers and the concentration of their efforts sufficed. We see mighty coral reefs rising from the depths of the ocean into islands and firm land, yet each individual depositor is puny, weak, and contemptible. So, mm-hmm. what he's saying is that, like, that the the power of the the power of capitalism itself is on the backs of these puny weak and contemptible individuals essentially (laughs) yeah um and here's perfect end ending to this chapter is he says cooperation ever constitutes the fundamental form of the capitalist mode of production nevertheless the elementary form of cooperation continues to subsist as a particular form of capitalist production side by side with the more developed forms of that mode of production. Do you think, um, and I was, I was having this conversation with Diana the other day because she asked me this and I, I had thought about it before, but like, I don't, I don't think I've ever actually thought of putting a lot of thought into it and how I would go about even doing it. But, um, I mean, how do you how do you even start a union? Should should we talk about that? I think start we should. Uh, it's yeah. just kind of hard. Unions don't have a lot of power um, oh, yeah. nowadays, well, anyway. So one of the biggest well, because is- we're so we're all so alienated. All we care about is our own individual work. You know? Yeah. Also, unions typically hold up a form of capitalism. So um, one of the things that actually so before we start recording. pressure relief valve so like they don't like capitalists don't want people forming unions on mass because that would be a problem if you could figure out that you could work together but right. also at the same time unions themselves the actually existing unions are capitalist in their methods typically is what i'm trying to kind of get at unions are a good idea i think and i think that a cooperative, like a co-op, would actually probably be the best, like actually existing socialism you can get if you could break out of that that capitalist mindset. But the problem is that that capitalist mindset is so ingrained in mm-hmm. us through ideology, through the state, through force, through whatever, that forming a union itself is is kind of a it's kind of a moot thing unless it's it's on mass, you know. So. Right. The way you form a union, though, is you get essentially you you uh, 
you get a bunch of like-minded individuals in a workplace, you typically have to have like the entire workplace, right? If it's a nationally recognized chain, typically it has to be a nationally recognized union. So Kroger's got a union. So th the people who made that union made it, you know, before Kroger became this multinational corporation, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And so you get these people and you, you have people who work in the union. So you have union representatives and what they do is they talk to, they talk to the boss about, so workers have demands, right? They say, okay, well, we demand, you know, uh, we can't work more than 60 hours. If we work more than 40 hours, you have to pay us overtime. We want these holidays mm -hmm. off, whatever. Mm -hmm. So the workers actually have to withhold their work from the company when the union, and then the union negotiates with the people who own the company to get the work. Um, all this type of stuff. So it has to be like a bureaucratic organization. And then after all that, you know, you, you form, you form a union essentially. So that, that's how, that's how it would work um, mm -hmm. in, in, in practice. All right. And then you even have to keep people in those unions, you know, like you have to, you have to keep those people around and a lot of unions, you have to pay union dues because. Yeah. Union dues are, are, yeah. Every, every union you join, you have to pay union dues because it goes into a fund, a fund for your, your union rights essentially. Right. You you would have to have union dues um, for every any union. You can't just like form a union and not pay right. anything because right. the the pay itself is is used for to pay the people who work in the union. Mm -hmm. So, but like it's not when you it's usually a union. There's a union president or a union leader. Yeah, uh, is it is it typical for them? So if they're the union president or union leader, is does that become more of like their does that become a heavier workload for them? Like do they have to do more legal shit and do they have to have more time to do shit like that? Or is it just like, okay, I'm union president, you know, I or is he just kind of like in charge of making sure that union dues are paid and shit like that? Or I don't know, typically, because like it typically for with like when you first start out with the union, you have to like kind of just assign. You go, okay, well we're union, treasury, secretary, president, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Of work. But B, you're you're paying legal. It all of your union things going. All of your funds dues mm -hmm. go into this pot, and that pot is used for like, let's say that Jim Bob breaks his arm on the uh, the fuck you press or something, right? So mm -hmm. he breaks his arm on that, and and the company's not going to pay him. But we know it's illegal for the company not to pay him. Well, we pay Jim Bob's medical fees, and then use use the union dues to do that but then we also use union dues to sue the company so that jim bob will get some money out of them and then they'll also pay us back for the medical fees so um 
that's why you pay union dues is because you have like a, it's basically like paying insurance. You're paying a job insurance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so that was chapter 13. Um, and then I guess we'll just, I think we only have chapter 14 left, right? Yeah. Chapter 14 was, uh, yeah, was a big one. So yeah, I don't have a lot to say about chapter 14. Honestly, even though it's probably it's the biggest chapter, because he talks about the division of labor and manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about how the capitalist process of Uh, under a, a one workshop under the control of a single capitalist. And this mm-hmm. is where he talks about the carriage manufacturers. Right. He says, the first carriage manufacturer is a combination of various independent handicrafts. By degrees, it becomes the splitting up of carriage making into its various detail processes, each of which crystallizes into the exclusive function of a particular workman, the manufacturer as a whole, being carried on by men in conjunction. In the same way, cloth manufacturer as also a whole series of other manufacturers arose by combining different handicrafts together under the control of a single capitalist. But then he says it also rises in exactly the reverse of this way by one capitalist employing in one workshop a number of people who all do the same or the same kind of work, such as making paper, type, or needles. Mm-hmm. So the two things in manufacture is essentially you can either have a capitalist who owns like a warehouse, a single capitalist who owns a warehouse. And what he does, mm-hmm. is he, he says, okay, I want to build a carriage. So I get wheel makers in, I get uh, carpenters in, I get like drapes in, you know, people who can make drapes and all this stuff. And you what happens- Specialized people, yeah. Yeah, so you have each person who does that and then they assemble it together. <laughs> but the, the one that we see more nowadays, especially, you see one guy try to do all of that shit, right? Bob and and Kim Bob, they all make paper all day. Like that's all mm-hmm. they do. So they make one product as compared to combining their efforts into making whatever, but they make a greater quantity of that of that product essentially. Right. Um, yeah. Specialized worker doing only one task, uh, uh, you know, one of the more specialized, uh, field, you know, they can do more than somebody who's got like a multi-purpose task or a multi, like a multi-dimensional task. That person's just going to end up, you know, flopping around like a fish. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I do. So this part in section two, I like this. He talks about, he basically says, um, um, constant labor of one uniform kind disturbs the intensity and the flow of a man's animal spirits, which find recreation and delight in mere change of activity. So mm-hmm. <laughs> here, March is talking about the um, mundane 
way of laboring, which is doing the exact same thing over and over again, day after day. It mm-hmm. kills it kills man's animal spirits. He he says. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it really does. I mean, I couldn't. I don't want to do the same thing for eight hours straight. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it definitely sucks. Um, especially if that one thing is lifting heavy boxes, which I used to do. Yeah, for, you did that for like ten hours though, did? Didn't you? 10 hours on the weekend or 12 hours? Yeah, for 12 hours, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, after like, after two and a half, you just kind of want to blow your brains out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I may be doing something like that soon. So he says that in section four, movement of this antithesis so what's interesting about this is there was this big debate recently about how people are dumb in their in their whole um like they they vote red in the in the the country but in the cities they vote blue right and so like Mm. (laughs) like yeah like those people are poor and they deserve to be poor because they vote red instead of voting blue. And, and so mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of talked about how it's dumb to, to, to say that because um, there are poor people and rich people literally everywhere, right? There are poor people in cities and there are rich people in the country. Right. Um, so it's just kind of like a weird thing to kind of like label like all of rural West Virginia you know, all the meth labs out in rural West Virginia are Trump-loving people who deserve what they get because they vote for Trump, right? Which is crazy to me. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's what he says. He says that that a lot of the division of labor that's well-developed in the, you know, in the exchange of commodities is the separation between this town and country, right? Mm-hmm. The whole economic, you know, history of society is summed up by in the movement of this antithesis. So we get the synthesis between the, you know, town and country, the labor of the town and country. Right. So, yeah. Um, I don't really have much more to say, honestly. Um, I'm looking over my... Yeah, and... He kind of, I remember him talking about, it, he talked about the class struggle that, I mean, capital uh, brings about. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, you know, it, it, the, the division of labor, uh, I'm trying to, class struggle, division oh yeah okay um yeah i guess the only thing i really the big thing that i kind of took away uh, and i wrote this down is um you know the division of the division of labor uh dividing our labor is in and of itself a division of working mm-hmm. um and it's set you know it's kind of sets our limitation in, on that and we've already really talked about that um but yeah you know it's we we really and 
there, I feel like now I wasn't. We weren't in the work. We haven't been in the workforce like too terribly long. So like, I mean, have you have you been in an environment where like you felt like the division of labor was so clear cut that it just felt like a machine? Like even when you were in a warehouse, did mm-hmm. it feel like did it feel like the division of labor if there was one? Did it feel like it moved things along really well? Um, probably not. I, I feel like I've always felt like, um, a lot of the corporate bullshit that you have to deal with in um, like, uh, even in like a warehouse job or something, um, so like you have to, you know, you have these like sensitivity trainings or, you know, whatever, like you have to deal with HR, you have to deal with like all this stuff. I feel like it's kind of antithetical to what you're doing, which is just like throwing boxes all mm-hmm. day. <laughs> Right, which is like they left you alone and allowed you to do your job at like the pace Mm -hmm. that you kind of wanted. You know, there was probably a lot of people that won't work well in those conditions, but at a certain point, you you get annoyed Mm -hmm. because when they like tell you if you talk 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 for five seconds, and they go, "Hey, you know, you need to start working more, whatever," and they keep getting on to you and bitching at you. You know, you eventually Mm -hmm. okay, well, you get fed up and you don't work nearly as hard. You just kind of pretend that you're working. Mm Right. Well, yeah, it kind of, I, I kind of tie it into because capitalism is so alienating already, and like it's only getting worse. In with, well, I mean, we're super alienated right now because of how like, uh, uh, because we're we've we're trying to stay healthy right now, and so what we're all trying to do is stay away from each other as much as possible. Um, but like, I think, uh, and I was reading about uh. Uh, Ted on Twitter, he had really good. Uh, he he had a really good article that he wrote or like an essay about um, how COVID and our, like the current state of uh, COVID really accelerated like capitalism. Like it, capitalism, if it was if it continued to go, you know, unchecked and unregulated in any way, we kind of would have gotten to this point to where everyone's working from home and everyone does their own shit in their own way. Mm-hmm. It's like, I thought the more I think about it, I feel like the division of labor and the division of different departments, it's also super alienating in the work environment. Cause like, I remember when I worked at the resort and they had so many different departments under so many different places. And it was just this stupid little like country club. And I was like, why are there so many different divisions of our stupid little hotel and nobody knows what the other department does? Like all we care about is what we are told to do. Right. So like, and then, you know, because it's so alienating and because we're just kind of, we're put in this one little corner of this of work. Like we don't, I don't think we actually know what we're, what, what, the working goal is here you know i mean it's probably a bad example that it was just like a service you know hotel is a recreational kind of thing well like like i can only imagine it being in a warehouse or in a factory where like there are so many different departments and i'm going to use i guess i'll use toyo tires as an example because my dad works in toyo tires but like they have so many different departments and so many people in that plant don't know what everyone else does you know and it's like, it's kind of like we we have that kind of mentality uh, culturally. Like you know, we we like what we like, and we know why we like it. 
but we're not quite sure why uh, other people like certain other things or they do certain other things. Um, and I guess that kind of just ties more into individualism. And, um, and what I hate about, uh, and I'm seeing, we were seeing division of labor, even in our own, uh, even outside of the labor, we're seeing it in sports. Like one of the driving points when I played football that you're told to do is just you, you learn to do your job and you do that job really well and everything else take care of itself. And I can understand that in a team sense, but like, you know, it's, I, I, I don't want to do that. Like I, I want to know, I need to know what my other teammates doing because I need to make sure that I can trust him to, to do that. And I also need to make sure that uh, if something went wrong, I also want to know why it went wrong. So like when, when I played for, when I played defensive line, my coach just said, you could just worry when this play calls, when this play is called, you just do this and you worry about this. And I'm like, well, wh what about the guy behind me? Like the guy behind me, I, I, I know that I can do what I'm going to do, but like, I don't think it's a bad thing for me to turn around behind me to my linebacker and be like, Hey, you know, you have to do this on this play. Right. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah. Okay. So like, I feel like more of that is what's actually better for the team. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like because we're all communicating, that's what makes us better. Is because we're we're literally cooperating because we know what the goal of this play is. Because you know, I think what what bad coaches what what I think we see this in a lot of bad teams, but like bad coaches, they try to teach one person to do one thing really well, and they just want you to do that one thing, and then you know it kind of sucks. And you see that in the NFL now, and you see that in basketball, like these guys get really good at one thing. Like, uh, like one guy may be really good at uh, trying to get to the quarterback or one guy may be really good at uh, shooting three, shooting field goals from behind the three line or something. And they get so good at that, that the, their labor is only necessary for when that situation comes. And then you get when when you're not working when you're not playing you spend too much time in your own head thinking what's the point of me even just doing this one thing over and over again when we don't even do this that much you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. well it's alienating like i said it goes back to alienation everything is uh, uh when you're told to just shut up and do this one thing you know it's 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 really bad for cooperation altogether and it's really bad for solidarity and that's uh you know i think i think that's something that we see just beyond even the workforce it's it's even ingrained into it's even ingrained into coaching these recreational things that aren't real jobs you know it's it's crazy yeah so um do you have any final thoughts on capital as a whole um so i let's let's revisit let's go back to that question we asked in the first because after we did the first episode uh, I remember you brought up the point that someone's someone you found uh, or someone recommended reading Capital, reading the first part of Capital um, at the end because yeah. it kind of all ties all together. Mm -hmm. I think I, I may do that. Uh, I may do that just for shits and giggles to see if it does tie up really well. Um, but like, would you would you say that? Because now that I think about it, I don't think it's a bad idea to go back and and read it and, and to instead start after the first part to start on part two and then go back to part one at the beginning because it really does kind of put a bow on it. It's almost like it's almost you mean, you mean chapter one and two, right? Yeah. Chapter one and two. 
Yeah. So so start st- instead of starting at chapter one and two, go to chapter three, then read all the rest of it, and then read mm-hmm. chapter one and two. Um, I think Althusa said that. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know. I think um. I think I I think like we said at the beginning, I kind of still have the same feelings. I feel like one and two are set up a lot that you kind of need. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like if you just start with three, three remember because three was kind of three was kind of boring. Um, yeah. I remember. Uh, so I would say, which I mean, you know, it's a it's an like a critique of political economy. So how like super interesting can it get? You know, you're not going to get sword fights and laser swords right. or whatever, right. but uh. Yeah, I would say that I would say read read it through the normal way. But I, I think just to give my final thoughts on it as a whole, um, I think the meme uh, was is correct when they say, "Hey, like for the love of God, please like read Capital, you know, like read Marx, read Capital, or whatever." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you talk about like uh, any type of uh, uh, leftist politic or whatever, I think it's a very good. I think it's a really good critique of political economy um mm-hmm. so i think that's just like the last thing that i wanted to say on capital so um if you have any other closing thoughts well, I'll it's, say yeah, it now. It's, it's it's an essential i mean there's no other way to put it it's 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 probably it's just a fundamental understanding of uh and it's a it's a good like i mean you hit the nail on the head it's a really good critique and it's a really good um summation and i maybe in in marx's writing style i mean to somebody who because i think i was at this at one point in my in my you know in my intellectual journey is what people are calling it i i was like i don't i don't think i am like i don't agree with how the united i don't agree with how like a lot of western the western economy works and i didn't i wasn't quite sure how to describe that and what i basically had to understand or what was i think it may have been you i don't remember who first kind of put that idea in my head but like it's a competitive market it's the free market you know capital reigning free markets that are that kind of drive our material conditions the way they are and and i guess if you're new to that idea maybe do a little bit more like basic understanding of what leftist thoughts are and you know like what communism is and like practices of it before you jump into capital Mm-hmm. Um, cause if you could just kind of, if you jump right into capital, like you're like, Oh, I think I'm a communist because I don't like capitalism. Um, it's, you, you kind of not to say that it's like a, a shallow thought process because, um, you know, you, I wasn't sure if I was communist or if I was like just super like radical, le- not like super radical left, but I wasn't sure if I was super communist or super leftist yet because I was like, I don't like capitalism, but I don't know like exactly which. I don't know which ideology I belong to or which I which I fall under. So um, I guess before you read Capital, kind of align yourself with a certain idea first. So that way, when you're reading Capital, it kind of you kind of see certain ideas you may have thought of come up, because like it's a lot of like it's it's just a lot of ideas and it comes at you really quickly. And and Marx's writing style is just uh, you know he uses a lot of uh, figures of speech and he uses a lot of uh great examples i think but um i think do a little bit more just a little bit more fundamental understanding of what uh you know what labor power and what a what seizing the means of production even means first you know Mm -hmm. 
So that's my closing thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, well, I, th I think, you know, I, I think that's, uh, that is great. Yeah. Do before you dive into capital head first, I think you should definitely um, kind of, I've always tell people this, I say it's, it's ridiculous how little understanding we have of Marx, even though you can like literally read a Wikipedia page and get the, some of his basic ideas. Like you can literally go to ideas and, and, and read about his basic ideas. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that, that's, uh, I think capital definitely helped inform my understanding of how capitalism itself functions. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall it was a good experience and I highly recommend it. So, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, so next time I think we can go ahead and, and you know, determine which one we want to do, uh, now like live on the pod so they can, can hear us. They can hear me asking the question, would you like to read the communist manifesto next? Or would you like to read state and revolution by Lenin next? Let's let's do the manifesto, and uh, I I have to buy State and Revolution. I haven't bought okay. it yet, so I have to buy it. I do have the manifesto though. Um, so in the manifesto, my manifesto is only like probably sixty pages. If you yeah, know. it's it's very short, yeah. so we could do it. Um, too, so yeah, and I think it'll be I think it it's it's it'll be a good uh, it'll be a, a good topic because it's not like a. It's not like a dive into a critique of political economy like we, we did with capital. We can kind of take a step back and see what the principal ideas of what, uh, you know, these guys, the principal ideas of what these guys think the best mode of uh, economy and, you know, uh, I try, I'm trying not to use society, but, you know, what the, the, the best foundations of a successful full and happy society you know and i think the manifesto is a great is a great uh all around uh, summation of that yeah okay so uh next time we'll do that. Yeah. yeah so next time we'll uh do the communist manifesto so i guess we will see you guys then yep sounds good